Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about menswear and clothing, old and new, from a perspective of buying, wearing, evaluating, appreciating and collecting. The idea is to provide a non-fashion view of what men might wear if they knew more about it and the stories that go with. There will likely be no mention of tailoring or pocket squares. In this episode, my co-host is my friend Sean from Glasgow, and we talk about heritage, provenance and branding when it comes to garments. Where are things made? What's the brand history? Does it really matter? So, without further ado, welcome to the first proper episode of Garmology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Sean. Welcome. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Same as I was 20 minutes ago when we had another chat, but that's okay. <laughs> You've got your glasses on now. I have, yeah. Uh, today's topic, Sean. Yes. Something Provenance. close to both our hearts, I believe. Uh, provenance, heritage, branding. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. The three, I think, kind of go together. Um, I think there's there's links between them all. I think it's about how we're sold things, about how we're marketed things as men in particular, um, that we are marketed clothing different than I would say women are. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot more focus on heritage um, and um, so you're buying into, um, you're buying into a certain heritage or you're buying into a certain um, brand because of its history and because of its provenance, you know, um, you know, is it made by blind nuns in the hills of Provence? Is it made in some little mill that's been there in the Derbyshire hills for, um, you know, 250 years, etc., etc., or is it made in a sweatshop in Bangladesh and we're being sold the idea? Um, so there's lots, there's lots there, isn't there? Really, there is, and. Uh... I don't know if it's a fact or whether guys really do care more about this stuff than women, or if it's just that we like to get a bit nerdy about it. I know I'm not speaking for all men here. It's a certain subset that like to obsess about these things. Yes. Do you count yourself in that subset? Well, I think I do. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, I always get... I always go all in on all sorts of hobbies, whether it's uh, yeah. or fly fishing or whatever. Yeah. It has to be something more. And, then, but, and of course, with clothes, I mean, whether it's Japanese denim or Scottish tweed or whatever, I mean, there is so much to be interested about. So, think, uh, so that's a yes then, isn't it? So I think, I think we do care more. I think... And as you say, maybe not all men, but I think to an extent, the person that's buying a pair of Adidas trainers cares because they're Adidas, you know? So that, again, they're still buying into that Adidas heritage that they would buy into more than a shop's own brand pair of trainers, perhaps, even though that they may be better. So I'm just using that as an example. Um, so I think, you know, if we bought a car, a lot of people will buy into the brand of a car rather than whether it's more suitable for them, you know, and they'll, they'll buy into, oh yeah, I'm buying this Mercedes because, you know, um, they're, they're seen as the best luxury cars and, you know, they had add it, whereas it might not be the best use of money. That's that's just my sort of thoughts on it, where there might be something that's a little bit, bit more suitable. So, mm. um, I think... 
getting back to the heritage angle, um, do we like our clothes to be made by companies that have been around for a really long time? Are there companies that have been around for a really long time? Um, I'd, I'm not even 100% sure if it's necessary about the length of time that they've been around. Um, because sometimes that that's great, but sometimes companies that have perhaps been around only for maybe 20 or 30 years, they can, if they're doing it right, so if they're doing it, you know, say UK made, which is something we're going to keep coming back to, I'm sure. So if they're, if they're making things in the, in the United Kingdom in the right way, um, that they're caring about their customers, that they're making products that, and obviously there's a price element here, but if they're making products that are, um, you know, extremely well made, that they're going to be made to last, you're not being sold a pup, you know, you're not being sold something that's um, going to go out of fashion as such, especially with clothing that you might be spending a bit more on. You want something that's going to last. So, yeah. yes, the age thing adds. So I'll give you an example. Um, Wolsey um, menswear yeah. that have, are now, I think, being sold through um, Matalan as some sort of Matalan sub-brand that are the oldest cloth manufacturers in the UK, you know, dating back to 17-something. 1755, I think. Well yeah. done, well done. <laughs> so, you know, you think about how much heritage, how much they could, they, could, they could go on to that heritage and sell that heritage for, you know, how many years? I'm not going to work it out here. Um, but they don't, you know, they make stuff that's okay, they kind of made an effort to sell it, so they rebranded as Wolsey 1755. But when you looked at the label, it was still made out with the UK. You know, it still wasn't made in the UK. The quality was all right. Some of the stuff was okay. It looked all right. I have a few items that, I, that I've bought. But there's where they have the heritage, but they're not using it right. Yeah. Um, I'll give you another example, perhaps... Uh, Henry Lloyd sailing wear, where you know they, they set up as a as as a sailing wear company maybe sixty seventy years ago. I think it was Sir Francis Chichester that had worn their gear um, to 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 sail around the world, um, and yet they're kind of now seen as a wee bit of a neddy kind of casual, cheapish casual brand. You know, kind of sub Stone Islandy kind of lining. You know. To me, they've, they've got that heritage there and they're, they're kind of, maybe that's, listen, it's, it's their business, that's the way they want to go. What I'm saying is there's, there's businesses that have been around a long time that are misusing or not selling their heritage correctly, whereas people could buy into that. Again, that's a marketing trick, but... Yeah. Um, I have you noticed that a few of the brands that have been around for a really long time don't actually make a huge point of having been around for a long time. Take William Lennon Boots um, from just south of, outside Sheffield. Yes. Stone Middle. You know, you've, you've got experience of that. Been around for just over 120 years, still in the same factory, still using the same equipment. Rumours say that some of the original staff are still there, but I don't <laughs> think they are. Um, but they don't really make a huge point of it. But it's, I mean, it's such a, it's a heritage site. Just opening the green door, walking in there, it's like stepping back 100 years. I remember uh, seeing your, your blog post, that was amazing, you know, to see just this little sort of shed with, um, it's not much bigger than my garage, you know, with this little green door, with the little brass plaque on it, wasn't it? Yeah. Then yeah. William Lynn. Do you think, do you think maybe, 
they're happy with the level of sales that they're getting, that they can manage the level of sales, that if they went up? I think there's about a dozen people working there, all told. And I think with uh, the companies they work with, the orders they have, they've got just about the capacity for what they're doing. And they seem utterly happy with it. And I think that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. There's no grand plans for expansion. They're not sort mm -hmm. of trying to take over the world. There's no huge dividends paid out so their directors can buy new Rolls Royces. Mm -hmm. Just happy. And I think that's yeah. brilliant. So if they were to then start to perhaps allocate a marketing budget, bring in a team you know, outside to start to market the products and the sales start to go up and then they would need to think about another factor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, the business is there. I would imagine there's people come back again. They do motorcycle boots as well, don't they? Is that right? They, they do actually make um, protective footwear for people who need steel toe boots, <laughs> etc. Yeah. So it's not, it's not all footwear that could have been made in 1900. It's actually more modern stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, let's take a company like Barber. I mean, they've also been around for mm. 100 years or so, haven't they? No? I would say at least 100 years. So they sort of started, I believe, sort of fishing gear, um, protective waterproofs, what, wartime there or thereabout. I'm, I'm not going to say for sure because I don't know. And I'm sure with Barbara, there'll be plenty of people that can correct us. Um, yeah. But you look at them now. So, yes, they have their factory still in South Shields. Okay, so it's still there. And it's still family owned. And it's still the same family as it's always been, which is great. Um, but how much of that is made in that factory? Well, how many items do they now sell? It's only the, they make about, I think it's 1,500 jackets a day in South Shields. But it's right. only the three classic models. Right. The rest is either made in um, Eastern Europe, Lithuania, I think, or Latvia, and mm -hmm. um, some made in Macau, which of course is code for China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they could have made a massive factory in South Shields. Yeah. And, and you know, there's enough people in South Shields that would have appreciated them doing that as well, and I'm, I'm sure, you know. Um, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, again, that's again about them expanding. So if you look at sort of William Lennon, so if you look at Barber, so those three jackets, if that's all Barber did, that's the only place they would be, wouldn't it? But yeah. if, if, how many items do they do now? It seems to be every week there's a different style or there's a different um, range of, of, of waterproofs or, uh, hooded jackets or you know again it appeals they don't particularly appeal to me you know they look they look okay but they don't they don't appeal to me to me a barber is a wax jacket of a certain length or mm. you know belted not belted hooded not hooded you know it's got a lining that you can take out you can wear it you can throw it in the back of the car. that's you don't get precious about it that's to me that's what a barber is all about but you know Again, it's it's they've expanded. I'm sure they're very successful. Um, in fact, I think last Christmas I bought my mum a barber handbag. Maybe now it was a handbag with a tweeding bit on it that said barber on it. I, I think that's just about as close to barber as it can get. You know, but mm. yeah, and they do. Well, lots the one thing is that barber obviously they obviously realised that made in England, made other elsewhere, is a sensitive thing because you can see on their jackets where they are made. 
or rather where they're not made, because the English-made ones, mm-hmm. they're made in Great Britain. Yes. Where the ones made elsewhere avoid any mention of where they're made. Yeah. So, uh, you'll maybe find it obscurely on the, on the, on the washing label. That in, in some of them hidden on a tag well inside yeah. a pocket or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Where, Which uh, kind of leads us on to our next point then. Where, where are we being sold a false provenance, you know? So where are we being sold an idea of made in England, blind lands in Provence, Little Mill in, in Derbyshire, you know? So where are we being sold that idea when the reality is a lot different? So that that is an example. I think so much of that now where clothing, it's, it's there's, there's these kind of like two ideals that men in Britain today, you're on the cider. Oops. You're <laughs> <laughs> on the cider already. I suppose there is a time difference. Um, there's, there's two ideas. There's either this like public schoolboy look or there's the 1930s landowning gentleman look, you know? And I think yeah. that seemed to have sort of come to the fore, um, apart from football casual look, which has always been there, but probably not got time to talk about that. But these two looks are, are where people are buying into that look. So people are buying clothing that may give them the impression that that's how they are. So they're either like English public school boy or they are English 2D gent from the 30s, you know, and yeah. they'll stick to those rules. And I think the companies are buying in on this and they're selling this ideal, you know, and then when you look at it, there's like a Union Jack and there's or outfitters, gentlemen's outfitters, blah, blah, oh, yeah. blah, using all the language around it. And then when you look at the label, you know, it's made in Bangladesh or it's made in India. And I'm not saying everything that's made over there it makes it bad. I'm just saying don't sell us on an idea or something that isn't the reality. You it's, know? A bit, it's a bit touchy when you sort of cast aspersions that producing something in, say, China is, is bad. Because they may make iPhones in China, they can obviously make whatever they like. Absolutely, to quality. Absolutely. Uh, and I do often find that if you criticise a company for be making their things in China, they'll start pulling the racism card. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of hard to argue with. I, as I say, I worked for Marks and Spencers for many years, so I saw a lot. Of, I saw the change between everything going from made in UK to um, made abroad, and initially it all went wrong so things were awful the quality was terrible then as more and more factories opened better quality it improved so yes i know that you know some things that are made in countries in the in the far east particularly are of excellent quality they really are but still don't try and sell us the fact and and they can kid themselves on that they're not but they are you know there's companies that base their whole ethos around this sense of Englishness. It's never Scottishness, is it? It's always Englishness. <laughs> no chip. Are you thinking sort of about places like uh, Hackett or Jack Wills? Um... Yeah, yeah, they're, they're two excellent examples where you're sold things with a Union Jack on it. You're sold things that, um, you know, and you look at the advertising, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the way think, Tommy Hilfinger and... and, and Ralph Lauren did it excellently in America, sold this idealised, um, you know, uh, East Coast kind of Boston, blah, 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 look, yeah. right? So 
we're, we're kind of getting sold out in America, but a lot of this product, and, and it's still decent quality gear. I'm not, I'm not saying it isn't, you know, but they're being sold and, 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 and it's made in the Far East, you know? So yeah. it, it's just, you've, you've been sold a, a false promise, really, in, in my mind anyway. I think, you know, and I think most people probably don't care. Um, mm. However, I do. So, you know. But they um, could have actually made it in the UK because there has been and there still is a UK manufacturing industry. Exactly. And this is this is the other point where, you know, you can buy things that are made in the UK that aren't, aren't ridiculously expensive, that are, are affordable items. Um, classic example at the moment being community clothing that's getting sold through Topshop. It's all UK made. You know, you can get a pair of UK made jeans that are like a fantastic fit for what about, I think about sixty pounds, fifty yeah. or sixty pounds. Remarkably cheap. I think part of the thing there is that they've cut out a good few of the intermediaries, so they're not looking at say a times markup compared to the manufacturing price. Mm. And you, you look at say Private White VC, um, where it's a relatively new company. They've used the name Private White as, I think it's a relative perhaps of one of the founders of the of, company. Uh, the yes. I think. And they are, everything's made in the UK, it's all made in the same factory. Um, it's made in a factory that's, that's been a textile factory in the UK for a long time. Um, I have a, a, a Pogsmith wool coat that I bought 20 odd years ago that I know was made in that factory. I just know through somebody that works it, but it was made in that same factory when they produced clothes for other people. So, you know, they're, do, they're, they're making a big deal of the, the UK, but and why not? You know, why not indeed, you know, make a, um, make a big deal out of it. Another example, perhaps John Smedley, which was going back to people maybe not making as much of a deal of the, the past, where they've yeah. been going for, I think, at least 150 years. I'm sure somebody will correct me. Making basically the same thing, which is like fairly fine gauge knitwear in either Sea Island cotton or Merino wool and, and various styles in the same factory. Um, you know, And the only thing they've updated in the last sort of 20, 30 years is the odd design and the label, you know, but... You know, I can I can dig in my wardrobe a, a collar polo from that's nearly thirty years old, which pretty much the same design as a collar polo I've built to go and buy now. And you know, the stuff is excellent and it lasts really well. And yes, it's fairly expensive. However, in the scheme of things, if I'm still wearing a jumper that I bought twenty odd, nearly thirty years ago that I've maybe paid eighty pounds for, you know, there's value in that, isn't there? <laughs> I'm just, my daughter's just left the door open, so I'm just getting her to close the door. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Um, how, about, uh, how about brands that sort of fake a history or buy a history? Um, just one that comes to mind now uh, is Bellstaff, which originally, mm. originally started out as a small company in Staffordshire, mm -hmm. making motorcycle clothing. Uh, having changed hands a few times now, they're now this massive fashion brand which is barely recognisable apart from the brand logo um, as what it once was. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we have a shop. We have one here, a Bellstaff shop in Glasgow. You know, I, I have one Bellstaff coat that was bought 1992 from a farmer's sale 
um, in amongst a pile of barbers. Um, I didn't buy a barber. The person I was with did. Um, and I think it was about five pounds. And it clearly been used for scrambling motorcycling, you know, and it took a long time to get the smell out of it. So I wore it a while, put it away, and I, and I dug it back out. But I know you've done a lot more research on, on Bell staff than, than I have, but because um, you have quite a few now, don't you? But you, you kind of you kind of so swap them in. <laughs> Sorry, not so many right now. No, no. I think you, you kind of researched it and then decided you wanted to get a a proper original one rather than um, one of the one of the newer ones. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was around two thousand. They were taken over by. Um, an investment company and started producing in Italy. The first years of that are okay, but then they recently changed hands again. Ah, oh, right, okay. And are now a just total fashion company. So yes. Yeah. I wanted yeah. one of the 1980s uh, trial masters. And the, do, do, do you think they're the, the made better, the older ones? I mean, you've had the compare, you've been able to compare them. They're sort of made differently. Uh, right. The older ones were made for a purpose. Uh, yes. made so you could ride your motorbike in the rain yes. or whatever weather. Uh, yes. New ones uh, probably wouldn't even know what a motorbike is. Mm. That's true. Yes. So, uh, no, I mean, the newer ones are much lighter weight. They're mm. not, not recognisable. I mean, they, they have some of the design cues, but apart from that, it's not the same mm -hmm. company at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think when you look at Again, going back to sort of how it's branded, you were saying as such. So, you know, it's, they've put the label on. It kind of looks the same, but it's part of a range of products that are, that are um, I don't know, marketed under that heritage, aren't they? So if you look at their adverts, it's, it's all around that sort of, again, English country house heritage to an extent, isn't it? And it's like people drawing up and so... You had like an advert for a motorcycle coat that's suddenly been sold with somebody in an Aston Martin DB6, you know. So you're like, mm, I'm not, I'm not kind of <laughs> getting the connection there, you know. But, but then I suppose it's a worldwide thing, isn't it? So you know, people go, oh, you know, it's oh that English brand, you know, I can buy into that English brand, you know. Because in America, again, American, they love all that, don't they? They love, mm. they love up to an extent, they love that. You, you do also have companies that. I mean, so some will make up a backstory. Mm. Um, I, I came across a couple of companies recently where their dig digital marketing content creators had obviously been to the same course. Okay. Uh, one of them was a watch company, Daniel Wellington. Um, right. I can't re recall the other, but their backstories were both identical. Ah, okay. Right. Uh, the company uh, founders had been at a beach somewhere hot and they'd met this traveler from scandinavia by the name of so and so and he'd given them this idea to start a company blah 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 uh, it was pathetic because the stories were just said apparently false and the same so, i wasn't aware of that i wasn't aware of that so I get, why I get, even bother it's it's like they clearly think that that's going to sell more product than you just saying there's a watch, it's got Daniel Wellington, that's my name, there you go, I've started making watches, you know? It's yeah. like, it, it's not, the watch world's, it, it, it's not something I, I know a lot around, but it just seems to have gone sort of stratospheric with 
and then there's all these sort of brands coming in below that make lovely sort of British watches with uh, our Swiss movement and stuff that, you know, some of them look amazing. They look really nice for like just a few hundred pounds, you know, but um, that's a whole... They won't sell there without a proper story about some travels and a mysterious stranger telling them stuff. And Yeah, I quite like that. Like, is it, did you say a Swedish traveller? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a picture in my mind, just this guy on the beach. You know, like, you feel you would like one of those watches. Chilled out and like starting to talk about watches, you know. You would just walk away. You wouldn't like, you wouldn't hang around. You'd be like, okay, mate, thanks, see you later. Yeah. I'm out of here. But then again, storytelling is such a big part of marketing now. But I think it does work better if the story you're telling actually has a basis in, in the truth. In some sort of uh, reality. Take take the Norwegian company uh, Odlanskoen. It doesn't really translate well British um, pronunciation. But the guy invented the original penny loafer. Right. So so the, com the people now working at selling this has an amazing story. I mean, this guy went to America, he made shoes, he came home, he invented the penny loafer, and there was then the design was appropriated, stolen by many yeah. others. But there you've got a real story. But then Which, the people that are making the penny loafers don't seem to be using that story, do they? Well, the, the, the guys selling the original are now telling it, but that's yeah. sort of a bit of a surprise for, to everyone who thought that, say, GH Base made the original or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I do like a good story, and I do like to know where my things come from. Yeah, which, which gets us back to the original point that I think men will tend to sort of buy into that, whereas, I, I, I don't want to say this, but I think women will tend to buy a name, so they will, it's all-encompassing, so there'll be like a name that'll be, so whether it's Dior or, um, I don't know. Gucci? Yeah, let's just say. <laughs> Mulberry? You know. Um, yeah, Mulberry. So you know they'll, they'll tend to maybe buy into that, and, and you know it's not that the stuff's any less quality, but they'll maybe not need to know as much of a backstory, perhaps. And again, I'll, I'm willing to be contradicted, um, absolutely. Um, I noticed Mods just made a little comment there, um, which we can read later. But um, yeah, so I think maybe they won't sort of buy into the backstory, perhaps as much. But you're right; it's it's. It's a marketing tool, but when it's right, when there is a correct story behind something, and when a, um, you know, whether it's a, a, a true story, um, makes all the difference. You know, um, I think. Look, I'm going to give you talking about on 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 this topic of branding. If you look at Lacoste now, when you think of Lacoste, you just think of a polo shirt, don't you? So you just think of a polo shirt with yeah. a logo on it, and and that's a Lacoste polo shirt. And you know that they were invented by the man himself, Henry, Henry, maybe, um, because it was a more, it was a smart and comfortable way to play tennis. They still had a collar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, so there is a little bit of a story there. Um, Fred Perry, I believe, was the same. So he'd made them around um, comfort and playing tennis. So it was like a comfortable way to play tennis. I don't know what came first. I've not looked at it. I don't really know the story. But you've got, so you've got two items there that you can still buy today that are essentially the same as as were um, yeah. marketed and, and, and invented with a, a correct story 
um, sometime in the what twenties, nineteen thirties, whatever. You know, and you can still buy that item today. But the companies have probably been bought and sold many times. And oh, I would imagine. And range has been expanded massively, and sort of the essence, the original essence, has been kind of forgotten. Yeah, and and I think again, yeah, it's 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 you know, so some a company will come in and go, yeah, we can we can make your company this big, but you're going to have to like sacrifice this, you know. So the, the manufacturing will outsource that, but we're going to make you a range of um, uh, kit bags that will have your name on it, and a range of socks or a t-shirt or you know, but, but your brand will be everywhere, so everyone will know your name. So whereas they they know that they'll sell. And I'm going to give you Armani as an example here. So moving on, where they know that they sell 800 pound suits. They know that they are the suits that maybe footballers. I should have got a drink as well. Um, that suit that footballers are wear. But they also know that if they pay 40 pounds, they can get a T-shirt with that name written on across the front of it. That will say Armani. So what relation has a is a, is a plain white T-shirt that's probably worth about a pound because it's got Armani on it? Just What's the association? So, are you are you buying into that? Are you buying into that? I'm not saying you because I'm sure you won't. Are you buying into that myth of footballer suits, or are you of 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 decades of Italian tailoring? You know, of, of perfecting that soft look suit by by buying a t-shirt that's got the name on it, or are you just wanting to tell everybody you've got a t-shirt that's got Armani? That's an Armani t-shirt. And you probably paid hundred quid for it. Mm-hmm. And you probably paid a hundred pounds for it, unless it's a knockoff. The larger yeah, the logo, the more yeah, likely so, it's going to be a knockoff. Exactly. So, <laughs> like, if you you could buy a T-shirt by like Fruit of the Loom, that would probably be better quality than the one. I'm going to get. Am I going to get sued? No. By a man. One brand I wanted to mention before we close, though. When you were talking about uh, expanding the range and so forth, we, I mean, it's sort of the elephant in the room, really. We're talking shoes, mm. Dr. Martens. What mm. went on there? Uh, originally a family business. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they obviously started getting ideas, uh, started offshoring production, expanding the range a bit, were bought up by an investment company who has just massively pumped them up. Uh, and what has the result been these days? They've got lots of Doc Martens shops. They've got a huge range of apparel and accessories and fashion shoes. But what went wrong underway? Quality. Quality went down the toilet. Yeah, yeah. And to which now there's, what, Facebook groups and all sorts of... of people railing against the, you know, the fact that they're buying these relatively. Now, bear in mind the age group that generally buys them are, I'd say, what, teens, 20s, you know, because they buy into the whole music heritage of some of the Dr. Martens. Probably quite a big investment for them, you know, so 80, 100 pounds for a pair of shoes, whereas they normally wouldn't pay. And they're getting ripped off. They, they certainly are. Um, and the odd thing is, I mean, whenever I find a pair of Doc Martens, I have a look inside to see where they're made. And they're made in China, Vietnam, uh, at least a couple of other places. I'm, I'm completely surprised by how many places will actually make them. Yeah, and in more uh, conditions. And, yeah, working conditions there. But also the quality is just rubbish. 
they sold splits after just a few months. Uh, people used to say they'd, they'd buy a pair of Doc Martens with them for 20 years. Yeah. But what, what has the company's response to this been? Well, they have reopened a small factory in the UK where they make the Made in England line, mm -hmm. which are still not as good as they used to be because mm -hmm. who makes the ones like they used to be and have been making them all the time? Mm -hmm. That's, that's uh, NPS which has their factory just up the road from the Doc Martens HQ factory in... And if I could hold you there. And we also have... Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was just going to put these on. I was just going to actually put these on before we made the call. So that'll lead you on to NPS, which then leads on to... On to Soul of Air, yeah. Soul of Air. Soul of Air. So, I mean, they've been making them for 50, 60 years in the same factory you can mm -hmm. book factory visits it's utterly charming same factory building same equipment they're still using the same processes and it's the same quality but uh i mean people just will keep buying the the doc martens yeah and uh, again it, it's the, the sort of you know, the buying into um a whole uk thing whether it's UK made with Dr. Martens, but they're buying into that whole mod, ska, soul, boot boy, skins, cool, cool you know, that whole <laughs> culture where you can, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can put all that in a shoe, you know, and that's a Dr. Martens shoe, and that's, I think, where they've, they've, they've let people down, you know, um, that, again, as you say, that you could have them that would last you 20 years, and you could you can have them nowadays. My wife bought a pair of the, um, the sort of dealer boot style ones and she, she walked to and from work daily um, now I think it's about three miles each way we walked to and from work and um, after seven months boom, soles were right through you know and you know and she, she, she's not heavy on her shoes by any means but she was really disappointed because you know she she spent what 130 140 pounds on them they lasted for seven months again we got no response back from um, or a derisory response back from Dr. Martin, um, you know, whereas, okay, well, you know, say, these Solivair, so there, I've been wearing them, that's the amount of wear, after what, about three years maybe, and they were bought second hand, so yeah. there's the other thing, so I haven't given Solivair any money. Well, there we go. There we are. If we were to summarise what we have been talking about now, what mm. would what would we... Uh... Do we we'll have to? <laughs> so, just, just two geezers talking about stuff they really miffed about. Yeah, it's just our opinion, you know, and I, I just, but I know that a lot of people share our views, I think. Um, and I think if they look on your blog, they'll see you sharing your views on a regular basis, you know, uh, whereas me, it's just an occasional one on, on Instagram. But yeah, and, and I think it, it, it just, makes you think that a little bit harder about what you're buying, where you're buying it, where was it made, you know, um, because it's a clear indication generally of how long something's going to last you and, and, you know, will you still be wearing it in five or six years time? Will it last you in five or six years time? And I think there's a clear link there. I think that brings us uh, to uh, a second topic we could uh, do a live chat about. Mm. Buying stuff that isn't just spur of the moment, but that you can see yourself using for years to come. Tune in the same time next week. So buying stuff that the 80-year-old you will still enjoy. 
Yeah. Obviously, you're that little bit closer. Lost of the summer the wine coming up here. I am. <laughs> Especially if you're drinking cider in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Okay, Sean, it's been an absolute Listen, pleasure. Listen, take care, and um, let's do this again. We'll, yep. we'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. All right? Wonderful. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in and see you next time.